Roses are red. Violets are blue. David Buchanan came home. So can you. Welcome to Philly's Therapy. Happy Valentine's Day. My name is Paul Boyer. Spring has sprung. There are flowers and birds chirping and things are beautiful buried under seven or eight inches of snow up here in northern New Jersey. Matt Gelba, the athletic, does not have that problem. He is my co-host. We are back for our third season of this already, if you can believe it, which is insane. I don't know what happens to time anymore, but it's 2024, baby. Camp is open. It's spring training. The pop of the mitt. The stretching of the ligaments. I don't know. Things are happening. It's great. It's a time we're celebrating and for apparently getting your thoughts in order. Let's bring in my co-host, Matt. Hi, I'm jealous of the weather down there. How are you? I'm great. I appreciate that. We're so on brand with a poem for Dave Buchanan. Uh, you know, I saw numerous <laughs> people tweeting at me and you after that signing was announced yeah. and saying, can there be an emergency pod to talk about David Buchanan? And, and uh, got got a chance to say hello to Dave Buchanan today. Um, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a cool it's a cool thing. Like I, I didn't, I did not realize actually that there's a lot of little details in it that make it even better. It's like, uh, oh, yeah? he, he met a girl in Easton, uh, when he was pitching for the, for the iron pigs years ago and he married her and they now have two kids. And so now they're, they're, you know, he's been in, he's been overseas for years now. I mean, he pitched in South Korea for the last four years, uh, Japan before that, but now they're building a house, uh, in the Eastern area. Really? And most likely, you know, he'll be pitching in AAA for Lehigh Valley. If, if, you know, if he has a decent spring, um, you know, goes to AAA and, 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 and pitches in the rotation. It's just, it's really cool. Um, I think it was neat to see a guy come kind of full circle and, um, uh, you know, he made one of the worst starts in Philly's history. Once allowed uh, eleven runs an inning, and he's one of our, you know, uh, famous rebuild characters. And I think it's cool that he's uh, getting to see it from this side. You know, even though he probably won't factor into anything that matters about the twenty twenty four season, uh, we can still have fun with it, right? Yeah, no, it, it's it's great. You know, it's it's so funny how with some of these guys and David Buchanan, for those of you who, who need a very quick crash course, seventh rounder in the 2010 draft is now Jesse coming Biddle up draft. Yeah. is now coming up on his 35th birthday, Atlanta, Georgia native last pitch for the Phillies. 2015 had a, a ostensibly a seven ERA, but his last game at the end of the 2015 season against the Marlins, you know, take that for what it's worth. Six and two thirds, seven strikeouts, a walk, one Ernie. And then that was it that he ended his season on that note to keep his ERA at 6.99, just below that seven mark. But now he comes home and I don't know. I think that's cool. I like it when, you know, it, it's not quite, it's a different kind of thing than I felt for Scott Matheson. You remember Scott Matheson leaves, uh, the Phillies organization and Major League Baseball goes overseas and becomes an absolute star in Japan. He's like a, a national legend over there. The guy went on an absolute role and never came back to the States. But now we have a guy who's following in that like Miles Mikolas, um, you know, Colby Lewis kind of thing where they leave for a couple of years and now he comes back. He was really good over there, but he's coming back to the States. It does. It feels like a homecoming. It feels like something that deserves some kind of happy ending. And I look at his number, four home runs allowed in 188 innings. Last yeah, I was going to say, we're really going to find like, out if how the quality of baseball is in the uh, Korean uh, baseball. Like, I don't know what it is. What is it? What is it formally called? 
KBO, uh, KBO. Is that what KBO, Korean, yeah, Korean yeah. baseball organization. Organization, yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess we're gonna find out a lot about the quality of baseball because he put up some great numbers there the last years. I, you know, I don't. Again, I think he's a guy who's who's uh, you know assigned to go pitch a Triple A and give them some some innings at Triple A because uh, you know they could use that. So yeah, it's cool when you can give that to a guy who you know you have a long history with in your organization and uh, as a guy who has seen uh, he's seen some shit. <laughs> yeah so you know you mentioned depth you mentioned the rotation uh depth overall is kind of an interesting focal point for this team as we enter this spring they are once again top heavy no one doubts the star power but once you start getting into the reserves the cavalry the re- potential replacements things start to get a little interesting they made a couple of moves recently uh flexing some of that low million dollar muscle with split contracts to land the likes of Colby Allard and now Spencer Turnbull most recently. Guys who are expected to compete for the last spot in the bullpen, you know, like the Dylan Covey, Nick Nelson memorial kind of spot. Uh, and there are different option statuses to consider throughout this whole thing. But basically, the Phillies needed to get a little bit creative. And you've written about this in a couple of your stories. And you've mentioned this. They don't have the playing time to offer a lot of guys who are left on the fringes of free agency right now, especially in the outfield. You know, you've mentioned that there were guys that they were interested in who, you know, you can't really promise them full time because Johan Rojas is here and has the chance, the first crack at it with Brandon Marsh going to left. You can't promise guys a lot of starts because the rotation is basically set in, in stone almost right now. And the bullpen is also pretty full up. There isn't a whole lot of wiggle room right now, except at the very fringes of the bullpen and potentially in a six starter kind of swingman capacity. So now here we are signing some depth guys, getting to some churn moves, uh, churn, of course, being guys picking up on waivers and then the designation for assignment, the corresponding moves, basically the moves at the 25th and 26th spots of the roster and lower on down the 40. Matt, I, I think it's interesting what they're doing. It may not be the most inspiring names. You don't necessarily think of, you know, Colby Allard and Spencer Turnbull as stars, even though Turnbull, um, if I'm remembering right, had a really good start to his year last year before uh, the wheels started to wobble a bit. Uh, But now here they are just adding guys here late on the eve, on the cusp of camp to come in and compete for one of these last spots. And it's added in a camp that was otherwise looking to be not super intriguing or, or full of drama. I can't say it's full of drama now, but it's at least added some drama. I mean, first of all, Spencer Turnbull allowed 12 runs in his first eight innings last year. So, so I had not have a good start uh, to his year last right, year. Good. But, um, good to check on the old memory every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, they've added depth and they needed it badly because if somebody gets hurt, and somebody will get hurt. It may not be in the spring. It may not be in April. It might be in May. But, you know, one of your starting pitchers will miss time. Uh, and it might only be a couple weeks, but they will miss time. And you need to, you need the sixth star. You need a seventh star. You need probably an eighth starter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that two or three weeks ago, you could say that they really had a seventh or eighth starter, uh, a viable one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and are Colby Allard and Spencer Turnbull viable? I, I don't know. I mean, the Phillies gave them both major league contracts when, you know, given their performance and their sort of uh, service time and contract history, like they both, probably are looking for minor league deals in a normal off season. Right. Um, I mean, Turnbull, even in the minors last year, you know, had almost a seven ER. He, he was not good last year. Mm. Um, Philly's given 2 million and, you know, hope that he'll accept. I, I do believe there's some language in the deal where, um, 
you know, he does have the certain amount of service time where he can reject uh, or refuse an optional assignment. But I believe that by paying him $2 million, which the Phillies can do, um, that they'll get him to take the optional assignment. Uh, and, and, you know, if he does not make the team, um, I guess at this point, you're kind of looking at Turnbull versus Dylan Covey for the long man role. Um, I know that'll make people happy, I think, because uh, people don't like Dylan Covey. So, you know, here's some competition <laughs> for Dylan Covey. Um, and, and yeah, it's like not to minimize like six weeks of spring training, but yeah, like that's kind of what they're looking at. It's like, should we carry Spencer Turnbull or Dylan Covey as the long man? And um, it, it, it shouldn't be a very dramatic spring barring injuries. And they hope it's not uh, dramatic. I mean, they're really just looking for everybody to stay healthy this spring. That's pretty much the priority. Uh, it's about accumulating depth. And it's like, you know, I hate using that word because I feel like it kind of people see it and your eyes just gloss over because it's talked about so much. Mm. And, you know, think about all those years though, where like the Phillies, we would say, well, I mean, look, they have gotten some good, you know, they have a talented roster. They have some stars on this team, but they just could not support those stars. And like we saw it even at the end of the last great era, you know, the 2012, 2013, 2014 Phillies in which, yeah, they were clearly fading and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, on the, on the end of that era. But, you know, they really failed to support the edges of that roster. They just ran, they just were running guys out there that, that should not have been uh, out there uh, when there were injuries to other players, to starters. So I I don't know if the rotation depth that they've acquired is good, but they have some of it now. (laughs) I think that's, um, that's a, that's, that's a starting point. Um, I think we've seen the Phillies pitching program, uh, you know, really find a groove in recent years in terms of taking um, pitchers with certain characteristics and uh, making them better, getting them in the strike zone more, yeah, uh, maybe changing up their pitch mix or, uh, you know, changing up grips or, you know, uh, on some breaking balls to just really make them more effective and get the most out of them. And, you know, perhaps uh, by getting as many lottery tickets as you can here, you know, maybe you pull one of them out and you make them better and you make them into a viable sixth starter in the majors. I don't think that's far-fetched to suggest that they can do that this spring. Yeah, it, it's sort of a it's sort of a leap of faith for me if I if I'm unfamiliar with a guy's game, right? Spencer Turnbull, obviously I've completely forgot the start of his season for starters, but <laughs> I'm not really I'm not really up on what he does, what his game is. I did not watch a ton of Tigers baseball last year, and I've just kind of poked around looking at him from a really high level just to kind of get a lay of the land. It's sort of a leap of faith from that perspective to believe that the Phillies have a plan here, right? That they have something that they have their eye on, on a particular fix, a particular pitch. Uh, maybe they want to start spamming something more. Maybe they have a, a grip adjustment. I don't, the details and the adjustments are on such a fine biomechanical level now that it really, it really laps what is publicly available that I've seen anyway. So I just sort of have to be like, okay, here's what I think they're looking at. Here's an idea of what they might be going for and then see if whatever changes they actually try and apply actually work. So it is a bit of a leap of faith. And it's also, again, like with all of these things, not my money. You think you have a fix and you want to pay this guy $2 million because you think it'll work. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Sure. This is a team that needed innings, right? Like roughly speaking, you got to cover 1400, 1500 innings in the course of a full season. And you don't have five starters pitching 200 anymore. Nobody does that. So you got to have a lot of arms to go through. And if this is the way you got to do it, then this is the way you got to do it. It's creative. 
it's flexing some of that financial muscle in a completely opposite way from the the Trey Turner deals and the Bryce Harper deals. You're not going nine figures, you're going seven figures. You're going low seven figures. In some cases, even lower than that if they don't pitch enough time in the major leagues this year. Um, but it's creative uh, and I like it. If that's what yeah, you got to I mean, do, then do it. Yeah, and and let's call for what it is. Though. I mean, they've had to be creative because they really haven't done a great job uh, developing it from within. Uh, it's a shame, I mean, man. It is. You know, the Chris Sanchez story, and you know, we'll see how he does in 2024, but um, you know, the three to four months that he put together last year as a starter after, you know, some legitimate changes they could point to in terms of repertoire and also just uh, developmentally in the minors. Um, you know, that was a big success for them, a huge success. Um, and, and they haven't had successes like that uh, in recent years with, with, with starting pitchers. And they're not the only organization. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that developing good major league starting pitchers is really hard right now. Um, but the Phillies just had very little at triple a and and even if we want to count double a too i mean the upper minors depth um not just in rotation but the rotation s- sticks out um, it's lacking i mean there are very few guys in double a and triple a this year who you can be like oh i think this guy like can you know like legitimately reasonably help them out in the majors if there's a need mm-hmm. there's just not a lot yeah. uh and so because they've had some you know gaps develop in player development um, they have to do it this way uh and yeah, yeah, it's forcing them to be creative because typically you're able to develop a fourth outfielder or uh, a sixth or seventh starter or you know a sixth reliever um, from within, uh, and they ne- haven't necessarily been able to do that on a on a consistent enough basis. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, because they have had they've had guys. I mean, they've had you know Matt Vierling and Nick Maton turned into you know a solid uh, late inning reliever in Gregory Soto. I mean, they've had mm-hmm. guys you know depth guys, you know, kind of those, those pieces like Connor Brogdon, I know is kind of on the bubble right now, but I mean, Connor Brogdon was, um, you know, an effective big league reliever for a little bit. He was homegrown. Um, they just haven't had enough of those kind of successes from within. And we're not talking about developing stars all the time. Um, but you know, those guys who help you out during the six month regular season, um, some of them have to come from within and they, they just haven't had a ton. Yeah. It's sort of the unfortunate point where, you try and pick up on some of these guys who are, you know, maybe ascendant complex guys who come over into full season ball and you're like, all right, let's see what you got. And then the progression happens and you just sort of forget about them. I do. I'll speak for myself. They kind of fall by the wayside. Um, guys who just can't make that leap even to double a, you know, like we're mentioning, I take a look at the depth chart right now. And this is like, roughly speaking, there are some interesting names where prospect heads will tell you like, all right, yeah, that's probably somebody to watch out for. You know, there there might be something happening there. I'm talking about guys like, you know, Samuel Aldegary, Jaden Estenista. Like, you go really far down, and they're rookie ball guys. You know, we're A-ball guys. A-ball, yeah. You know, you look at the the higher-level stuff. There's, you know, bringing David Parkinson back in AAA. Mm. You have to hope Griff McGarry can get rebuilt. You know, can, can Mick Abel make the leap? Uh, they both had, you know, those last two guys, especially they both had, you know, rough spots as they ascended into the higher minors. And then, you know, the, the double a depth chart, as I'm looking at on Fangraphs right now is not full of name brand guys, guys whose names I've, I've barely even seen before. You have Mitch Noonborn who was sent to the AFL and then you get into the likes of Matt Osterberg and Victor Vargas and Jordan <laughs> Fowler. And they're like, they're new names to me. They, they haven't stuck out. 
even somebody who's interesting like Alex McFarland underwent Tommy John surgery recently. So he'll be out for a while. And there's just not, there's not a lot there. It's unfortunate because I think for all the other things that they've done right at the major league level, they did a really good job supplementing. Clearly you make two straight NLCS trips and, and one world series trip. You are doing something right at the major league level. It just hasn't been followed up with that internal part. That's so many of these executives talk about having in order to build consistent, sustained success. You need to have that pipeline. You need to have that system to back it up, to back up all the big signings. You can't keep buying to fill every hole. And it's, you know, that's not really I mean, filling in right now. There's a gap from some really bad years of drafting and developing. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. It's part of why there was a regime change. Um, yeah. And when there is a regime change like that, you know, those mistakes in drafting and developing don't just get, you know, fixed overnight because there's a new regime. I mean, they're going to linger. And I think we're seeing that. I mean, it was funny because I was, um, I don't know why I was going over this day. Jake Mintz, uh, who now works for Yahoo Sports, congrats to Jake on the new job. He was here oh. in Philly's camp today. And we were talking about that Demoniac draft. And I, I clicked oh, on yeah. the Demoniac draft. And we all know, you know, that, that 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 draft did not go well for the Phillies. But do you know that there's one player from that draft in which the Phillies had the first pick in every round? One player from that draft in 2016 who's still in the organization do you know who it is wow um oh this is a tough one because i remember i remember the likes of like jojo romero yeah and i think yeah so it's it's um Oh, it's, it's, uh, it, that was Derek Hall's year. Wasn't that Derek Hall's yes. year? Yes. Okay. Derek okay. Hall is the last player okay. Okay. still in the organization from that draft. And that was a draft where it's like, yeah, I mean, like you want to hit on the on the first pick, but you also get the first pick in every round. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say you're going to hit on every player in every round. That's just not how the baseball draft works. But, you know, you're hoping you get, you know, something out of that. And I guess Edmundo Sosa, they got him out of Jojo Romero. So, um, yeah, you know, that okay. was a trade with the Cardinals, but you know, Moniac got them World Series hero Noah Syndergaard. But like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just th- that draft, and you know, the next year was the Hazley draft. I mean, there's just yeah. um, there was just a couple bad drafts there that 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 really lingers with you now. Um, I mean, it really lingers, and that's what they're seeing. I think at the at the upper level of the minors. Yeah, I've actually so I've gone and pulled up the 2016 draft now, and I'm looking at it. It reminds me that they're. The, the Philly second round pick, Kevin Gowdy, he just signed with the Dodgers, which of course makes you think, uh-oh, what do they know? Uh, people were I mean, honestly, like it, it, it goes, it keeps going. I mean, like 2019, sure. they drafted Stott in the first round, but mm-hmm. every pick after that, um, just all, uh, nothing. I mean, there's there's not even guys that they used in trades. There's, um, there's just all, a lot of nothing. And so, you know, there's, there's like four solid years of drafting there where uh, – they're feeling it. They're feeling it in the upper minors right now. Well, and I mean, this was this was a refrain back in the the early to mid, you know, 2010s, late 2000s, even with the Phillies and their first round picks. This was a thing before in between Cole Hamels and you can't you can't really count J.P. Crawford because he didn't give them he didn't give the Phillies a lot at the major league level. Like, you know, he was shipped off in a trade and only really blossomed once he got to Seattle. But in between. Hamels and Crawford, we'll say. So from 2004 to 2012, with some pick forfeitures in the middle there, they got nothing from their their first round picks. 
You know, Travis Darno never played a, a game for the Phillies. He was traded in, you know, for a trade. Yeah, they got, Obviously yeah, worked they got out Roy well. Halliday. That helped. But then, yeah. yeah, but then you look at the likes of, you know, Adrian Cardenas, who, you know, no, he was kind of a, a, a helium guy who some of a deep cut was like, oh, yeah, OK, maybe he'll do something. Uh, first round pick Joe Savory, two way player before, you know, the age of Shohei, the proto Shohei Otani, who did more for Oakland than he ever did, you know, for Philadelphia. Jesse Biddle, okay. Anthony Hewitt, Zach Collier, Larry Green, Mitch Geller, Shane Watson, they never made the majors. You know, and that was a thing that you always pointed back to. You're like, man, it really would have been nice to have some hits higher in the draft there. Then you have Crawford. Right, and, where did, and right, and where did they start seeing that? They started seeing that in 2012, 2013, 2014. Right. You know, when things started to go bad. And what's the difference now? The difference is they've thrown as much money as they possibly can at every hole, at every problem they have. And mm-hmm. it's worked out nicely, right? No, it's it's working very well. I'm very happy. I like this team a lot. Although I do think we're at the point now where if it doesn't work this year, there are going to be bigger changes. I don't know what exactly that's going to look like, but I just, it, it feels to me if they can't get the job done this year, there's going to be far more turn, turnover next offseason than there was this offseason. I'll just put it that way. That's the feeling I get right now. Maybe that means more money thrown at, at some other player and somebody gets shipped off. I don't know. We're not talking about that yet. The strategy has worked to this point. It's a successful run. This is a lot of fun. I'm still having fun. I'm enjoying this team. But there is a concern now. There is some death problems. We're probably going to see a, a bunch of guys just over the course of the season have to step in whatever position, whatever spot in the rotation or bullpen. And there's going to be some teeth gritting. We'll just have to get ready for that starting right now. One guy who we're not worried about once he is on the field, but you know, maybe we're a little worried about what his status is going to be moving past this year is of course, Zach Wheeler. We've talked about him before in our off season check-ins leading into this camp, Matt, there's some thought now potentially that there's reason for optimism. I saw some quotes come out today that are publicly like, you know, Dave Dombrowski was like, yes, we've started talking about an extension. Zach Wheeler was like, yes, we love it here. We want to stay here. Everybody's saying the right things. Everybody's pushing the right hype buttons. Is that is that optimism founded? Or are we not going to have a, a revisiting of the Nola situation where he's just going to test the waters at the end of the at the end of the year? Are we actually going to see Zach Wheeler get an extension before the season starts? I don't know. I mean, mm. I, I think I think it's possible. I think it's okay. very possible. And, and you'll remember that I, I thought, you know, that a NOLA deal would get done. You'll also remember that I basically pegged the number. It was uh, amazing. Yes. A, one spring ago. And they, you know, they didn't they didn't get to that point. And I do think there are some differences uh, in the Wheeler situation from NOLA's situation. The biggest difference, perhaps, being uh, that Wheeler has been to free agency already. Uh, mm. Nola had not, Nola mm. had never gone to free agency. And I think there was some desire to see, you know, maybe what other teams thought about him or, or, um, envisioned for him, uh, with Wheeler, I, I, you know, he's saying a lot of the same things that Nola said last mm-hmm. spring, Philly's people that I talked to are, are saying a lot of the similar things they said, uh, last spring. And I do think there was legitimate optimism that they could get something done last spring, just like there is this spring with Wheeler. Uh, I, I, I do have a story that's up on the athletic now, just 
um, you know, obviously kind of going over like maybe some of the stuff that we already said today, but also with maybe with some, you know, a few details on how I think it might unfold and how it could unfold and how hearing that it, it might unfold. It's that, you know, there's been a, uh, like a real formula to a lot of these big money deals the Phillies have done in the last, you know, five years, right, Paul? What is it? It's their, you know, the term is longer maybe yes. than we expect. And that's to get, you know, the, the annual average value a little lower. Um, so that they can, you know, kind of massage those tax bills, I guess. Um, but if the players are open to it, the Phillies are fine with that. They're fine adding on a year or two at the end because, you know, money means nothing in 2031. And so, uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I, I don't think that a Wheeler deal, uh, possible extension will follow that formula this time. Now there's, there's differences here. I mean, Wheeler is 33, he turns 34, in May. Uh, and so, you know, he's older than most of the guys they've done these big free agent deals with. And so I do think that this has the possibility of being, and just from talking to people who are involved, you know, a, sh- a shorter term deal with a higher AAV. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of deal that you, you give to a starting pitcher in his mid thirties. Right. I mean, wouldn't you, I, I almost feel like the Phillies would rather it that way. And I think Wheeler actually might rather it that way too. Um, because if he does have, you know, another decent, let's say they sign him to a three-year extension that gets, uh, that gets him through 2027 mm-hmm. and he'll be, I don't know, 37, 38, maybe he's pitched well enough to go get himself another deal. I mean, so I think, that's uh, true. maybe I, I, yeah, I think both sides are, are like really enticed by the short-term high AAV idea. I do think they're, they're, they're far, you know, they're, they're not, close right now like they're in the early stages of negotiations and what happens in early stages you know one side has a big ask and the other side is like yeah i don't know about that and you know ultimately you know you meet in the middle somewhere near the middle mm-hmm. and that didn't happen uh for a few you know for about i don't know eight months with nola it took that long for them to meet in the middle with nola yeah. essentially right. they ended up meeting in the middle to where they were at they they each side made some concessions um i I do think that there's, you know, there's possibility that this just doesn't take that long with Wheeler. You know, all of that makes a lot of sense to me. And especially the point about potentially seeing your way through to another chance of free agency in the later stages of your career, if you're Zach Wheeler. Um, This is a guy who, relatively speaking, doesn't have a ton of miles on the arms still. He's still under 1,400 innings for his career. Crazy, you know, right? You know, he's starting his age 34 year. The the 2020 season was shortened, obviously. He missed some time in 2022 with injury. But for the most part, you know, in 21 and 23, he's, he's been he's been healthy. He's been dependable. You can say that, especially in his case, if we want to keep talking relatively with how he came over with what he was coming from. He, he was building off of his healthiest season to date when he reached free agency. But the track record in the book on him was that, you know, he had had some major injuries. He had missed two consecutive years and change and then looked good, not amazing coming into that free agency. And the Phillies bet on him and they have scored enormously. Uh, It's It's probably the best free agent deal for a pitcher ever, right? Unbelievable. My God. I wrote in my story that it might be one of the best free agent deals for a pitcher like in history or modern (sighs) history. I don't know if it is the best because I'd have to really dig into that. It's one of the best. I think it's fair to say, right? I just, you could have, 
you could be paying him $40 million a year and it would be a good deal right now. Like if you want to talk in terms of bang for buck, yes, absolutely. But the fact that they saw through, you know, to take that chance and feel good enough to give a five-year guarantee for someone with, you know, the medical history that Wheeler had, has, I guess you could say, um, to bank on him that way. And not only has it paid off where he's, you know, say as good as he was his last two years with the Mets, he has far exceeded that. He's had playoff heroics like very few starting pitchers who have ever pitched for this organization have ever had. He's had some of the most big brass balls starts in the playoffs that I just, he goes out there and he and he absolutely puts his foot down on these guys and it's been tremendous. Yes, as far as I'm concerned, it is one of the best deals I've ever seen this team make um and it's hard to say otherwise, objectively or subjectively. Do you think he's one of the 10 best pitchers in baseball right now? Hmm. That, starting pitchers that yeah. is interesting yeah well it's probably fairer to say starting pitchers i think it really depends on what you value in a starting pitcher i think there are pitchers out there who will have better rate stats better better rate performance stats i'm talking about the likes of a you know a healthy shane mcclanahan who might put something together that you know puts him a tier above what Wheeler can do. But the fact that Wheeler has been durable enough over the last three years to go 150 or sometimes way more innings and still put up the quality that he does might not be quite the rate stats that some of the very top guys do might not quite be Garrett Cole, but it's in the conversation. I would not fault anybody. I'm not coming up with a list right off the top of my head just because I don't want to forget somebody and make it obvious. But I would, th- I would think, I would think at first blush, instinctual answer would be yes. I would feel comfortable putting him. Yeah, among I, th- the 10 I think best so starters. too. Yeah. yeah. Right now. Yes. Yeah. And so at that I point, mean, you have to feel comfortable with that, with a three-year deal. Right. Right. And we're talking about, you know, Wheeler is, is still close with, with, with Jacob deGrom, you know, one of his former Mets teammates. I think they, you know, they're, they're really friendly and they talk a lot and, um, you know, DeGrom got a, a, got a, a deal that, you know, some would look at and say was a massive overpay. It was five years at 37 per year. Mm-hmm. And DeGrom is one Cy Young's. He's, you know, pretty, you know, I, I think pretty clearly has had a, you know, better career, I think, than Wheeler to this point yeah, that's of fair. where he signed it. We, DeGrom was about the same age when he signed his deal that Wheeler will be. Uh, after this season. Mm-hmm. So I'm using different comparison points here, but um, you know, then again, though, if we were signs for a few, you know, for a shorter term, you know, why not get to around that AAV number 37, 36, 37. I think Cole Garrett Cole's deal is 36 per obviously much longer uh, than yeah. the one that they would be signing Wheeler to. But um, I, I think that, you know, three times somewhere in the 35 to 37 per year range is not crazy and probably a decent deal for both sides. I, again, I'd be fine with it. I am usually okay with things that get these guys paid. Um, look, it's all a matter of, do you think a, a 35 or 36 year old Zach Wheeler gives you a better chance to win over the course of a season than free agent X who you could sign for a little bit less money. And it's a good pitching market. 
it's a good market after the season, free agent wise. Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber, uh, Walker Bueller, uh, you know, the Verlander and Scherzer both could be free agents. You know, who knows? Verlander's already hurt again. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking I'm forgetting somebody, but it's it's a pretty good uh, free agent class of pitchers. You know, if you want to take that that risk, but again, I, I do think. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think both both sides here are, are legitimately interested and, you know, have a path, I think, toward, you know, to getting something done. That's good. I mean, I, look, I, I want this ride to keep going for as long as it can. I, like most people who are scarred by the early 2010s, would like to avoid a repeat of that, of course. Sure. These yeah. are different players, right? And that core didn't have, you know, Bryce Harper. Oh, Max Freed. Max Freed. I oh, forgot Max Freed. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. That, yeah, that's another guy. Sorry. sorry to interrupt. But yeah, I mean, it's no, a it's good, good class. Yeah. 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 It, that's a good class. Maybe you want to skip that. Maybe you don't want to be one of that crowd, you know? Like, that. that's a buyer's market, right? That's good for the people who are interested in pitching to have people to pick from. I don't know what effect it would necessarily have on, on a difference in what his deal looked like. But maybe sure. that's not something you want to go through. I, I don't know. In any case, they've said the right things, right? Wheeler and, and Philly's manager, they said the right things. They want to get something done. They're going to work on it, and hopefully they do. Because I think this is a guy who, right now, I would feel comfortable giving him three years and feel like in 2027, he could take the mound and still look like a major league caliber starting pitcher, one of the better major league caliber starting pitchers, even at a, a higher age for pitching, mostly because... The tread is a little lower, but also because I feel like this team just has a good idea of how to use him, how to keep him healthy, yeah. and how to utilize his stuff to make him most effective. Like the proof is in the pudding; he's taken off the last few years. So it's, yeah, and that's the thing it's 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 a it's a relationship that has worked, you know, not just one way. I mean, I think you know Zach Wheeler is clearly you know before he signed the deal, you laid it out, Paul. He wasn't necessarily this known commodity. And there were a lot of questions about you know the yeah. rest of his career, but I mean, he is he is become one of i think the 10 best starters in baseball and and the phillies have helped him a lot of it's wheeler he has really made himself a new great pitcher. the phillies have helped him get to that point and he, he's aware of that he's noted it numerous times so there's that we'll we'll keep an eye on that you know that's something i'll be waiting for I'll, i will hold my breath for a little while <laughs> i won't be able to hold it for the full month that's just i mean for being totally it. honest it, it really is like the <laughs> only and biggest thing that can happen in the next six weeks. I mean, really, I mean, like there are other things that could happen. There's fights for bench jobs and bullpen jobs. You know, I still think they're going to sign, you know, another utility outfielder, fourth bench type thing. Um, <laughs> somebody who fits that description. I, I do think they will sign someone there, uh -huh. um, but we're not talking about anyone uh, crazy. And, uh, yeah, beyond that, beyond everybody staying healthy, I mean, like signing Wheeler is, you know, pretty much the biggest thing that can happen in the next six weeks, I think. Well, okay. So, yeah, no Cody Bellinger, sure, fine. But a lot of people are starting to think like there's a dark horse thing with Jordan Montgomery, who's still a free agent. Maybe not Blake Snell quite as much, but Jordan Montgomery is still out there. Maybe there's a thought that the Phillies want to give him two, possibly three years if he comes down to that point. Like, can you see something of that caliber? happening or like what's the threshold for that to work because again the rotation is set right now somebody else would have to move be moved in order to fit something like that but jordan montgomery is a, a quality pitcher he's a good pitcher and if he fits their deal parameters i guess i don't know could 
could something happen there? Do you think it do you think it gets to that point? I think if he moves off wanting six or five years, then other teams get involved before the Phillies do. Okay. I think I think if it get, I, if he gets down to a two or three year deal, which I, I really do not think will happen, I'll be really surprised if he does. Uh, I think there will be other teams offering more money. And I don't I don't think it gets to the Phillies price point. And it's not and, and I don't know if it's about them being I don't you know, I don't know if it's about necessarily also the the about saving money. I think it's more it's like how much you, you alluded to, Paul, it's like who does he displace? It's like, okay, well do we mm-hmm. have to trade Taiwan Walker now? And like yeah. what are we get you know, we're probably eating some of his money to trade him. You know, what are we probably. getting for him? And it just starts to get kind of messy. Now all of a sudden you're spending <laughs> You know, whatever you're paying Montgomery, plus whatever you're eating of Walker for a number three or four starter. And I, I don't know. I think he's a good pitcher, Montgomery. Um, I, I don't know that he's like a huge, huge, huge upgrade for them. And I think that's why they've sort of stayed out of it while his demand or ask is, you know, for, for six or five-ish years. Yeah. I guess then that brings us to what possibly could have been a point of intrigue, but seems to be quelled. Dave Dombrowski doesn't really seem to want to entertain thoughts against this narrative that the outfield could have used an injection of some kind of starting caliber player. Brandon Marsh uh, is on the shelf for a little bit, but the expectation is as of this moment, he'll be ready for opening day. We don't know what kind of ramp up he's going to have in the spring when he'll be ready to take the field. Maybe he needs to start the year on the IL. Not quite they sure. Seem, they're pretty confident the way they're talking. And I'm always skeptical about the way teams talk about uh, injuries. So we'll see. But I mean, they've like unequivocally said he will be ready for opening day. So we'll see. Um, but I, I sense some pretty, it was, there's no surgery, no surgeries are minor, but it does sound like it was a relatively minor surgery. <laughs> Do you know that? I don't know if I heard the context around it. Was it just when he was ramping up off season workouts? He just, he, he felt to, he felt a twinge. Yeah. Yeah. He felt something early last week and then they looked at it and it was essentially like, I guess was a, uh, a piece of cartilage that had probably, uh, you know, been displaced a while ago, but had moved into a, an mm-hmm. area of his knee where it was started bothering him. Okay. Um, so it, while it wasn't like necessarily a recent injury, it's something that only started bothering him recently. Okay. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, well it does. I just, I I think it's important to shed a little light on, uh, oh, well if he was hurt, why didn't he get this addressed earlier on? Well, it was probably because he wasn't doing the high intensity, get ready for the season workouts back in December. You know, like that's, that's just one of those things. Nobody knew about it until he actually started moving that way. Um, at least that's what I figured. And it's nice to hear that, you know. That's essentially what happened. All right. I, I think that about sets the stage, Matt. I, I know yeah, I there's. Mean, you didn't ask me about the workout. I mean, no, it's not, yeah. It's oh, like yeah. The first, <laughs> people were asking, like, you know, Rob Thompson's like, who stood out on the first day of camp? And it's like, and Rob's just like, ah, you know, I don't know. Everyone is healthy. It's like, it's because like, it's like one day yeah. workouts and they, they've been down here. You know, a lot of these guys have been here for, um, you know, more than a week. Some guys, you know, multiple weeks. Um, Thompson and a lot of the coaches have been here since like the first or second of February. So while today was the first official workout and, and, you know, the players had to be here, pitchers and catchers had to be here by yesterday. Uh, there's been workouts happening for a while. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it was, uh, it's pretty, 
it wasn't even that long of a workout. Um, they, they, you know, it was a bunch of bullpens and some PFPs and, you know, really stimulating stuff. Uh, well, okay. So then that's the present. Let's look ahead a little bit. I, I know you have your eyes on, on somebody, this camp, somebody who's, who's going to pique uh, your interest during their appearances. Do you, do you want to let that leak? Who's your, yes. Who's your, who's your fave, crush. your camp, camp, crush. camp crush. And I'm going to get, uh, yeah, every year I, I like, we have a joke. I joke with, uh, uh, Todd Zalecki and, and Matt Breen used to cover the Phillies with inquire. We don't, you know, I'd always have like, you know, one or two guys and they'd have one or two guys who like, you know, they just like, for no real reason, like become interested in, in spring uh-huh. training. And it's just kind of how you pass the time. Sure. Um, I watched Michael Mercado throw a bullpen today. And he's, oh, he's the a guy from the Rays. Yeah. yeah. He throws hard. Uh, he's a big guy and I am fascinated to see him pitching games. Michael he's Mercado. very interesting to me. Okay. Okay. He's a reliever with options. Uh, had a huge strikeout rate last year in the minors at triple a, uh, his first, you know, full year being a reliever, uh, you know, Rays need to add them to the 40 man. They, you know, in Rays fashion, they didn't have, a, you know, they had too many guys and not enough spots. And so they, they flip them. Uh, and, the, you know, the Phillies didn't really send much of substance over. It was like Adam Leverett, who's not really ever been a prospect. So, you know, maybe that, that, you know, that tells us that Mercado is not really much of a, uh, you know, much of a guy, but I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued. He's tall. He throws hard. Uh, sign me up. Okay. All right. And, and I guess I'll give one too, because the last couple of years I've been really hooked on, you know, Matt Veerling and Nick Maton, um, which was kind of the, the sad part of seeing them go to Detroit. Uh, but for me, I want to see what Matt Caroon brings to the table because he had such a crazy end to his year. He was just absolutely on fire, hitting the crap out of the ball. He's a little bit older, but like now's your chance, man. I want to see what you got. I'm interested to see what Matt Kroon does when he steps to the plate. Um, in addition to some other guys, of course, but I think I'm really going to be interested in Matt Kroon. All right, cool. So Matt, camp has begun. It's here. <laughs> baseball is back, baby. The Super Bowl is done. Baseball is here. We get games in a couple of weeks. We somehow got a Joe Savory reference in a podcast on the first day of spring training, 2024. Look, if you're not hitting the ground running and you're not starting in prime form, don't even report. Don't even report to podcast spring training. All right. We're serious here. We take this very seriously with our guy remembering and name dropping is what (laughs) we do. Oh, speaking of which, did you see that? um, uh, Did you see that Corey Knable? is back ah yes he had like the bad surgery like the really bad surgery like he tore the capsule in his shoulder that's like the johan santana surgery yeah it was a really bad bad injury he suffered um but you know he didn't pitch at all last year so he's in white Sox camp and somebody made a joke that uh was it you or somebody made a joke that uh he'll lead the white Sox in saves with like 11 oh no that wasn't me i think that was i think that was rob Orr from oh, uh, oh okay yeah yeah very funny joke i like that. It, it, if it was if i am remembering correctly thank you i'm i'm humbled to be confused to rob who's doing unbelievable <laughs> public analysis work uh, White Sox. They're, yes. they're bad you know the marlins... only 32 he's only 32 oh do you know the marlins still haven't signed a major league free agent this offseason i thought you were going to follow that up with ever because it feels like they never sign anybody <laughs> they, they have not they, signed a major league signed free agent. Agent. uh no it's not totally surprising it's the marlins yeah what do you expect yeah. what do you want what do you want me to say i'm not gonna i'm 
like no, I just I, I'm I was you know I was looking over the division again. Yeah. Uh, on my on my flight down. Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's weird. The Nationals have signed like every uh like first base dh type like they've they've signed both joey gallo and jesse winker this offseason which is just tremendous <laughs> uh you know cory knabel makes me think of uh, i briefly confused him with brandon kinsler in my mind because i think brandon kinsler finished his career something like two weeks shy of 10 years of service time or something like that oh when yeah I, yeah 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 and i saw knabel guys i'm like oh he's finally gonna get it and knabel's only got like like six years i don't know what i was thinking about i can't believe he's only 32 wow god right i feel like forever ago yeah, wheeler wheeler did so dave buchanan him signing he is the oldest pitcher in camp before that it was wheeler wheeler is was the oldest pitcher in philly's camp uh until they signed dave buchanan but um it's crazy to me i keep using the stat uh in a few stories i've written of late because it blows my mind the phillies had the second fewest plate appearances last year by guys 33 or older well, and that's why you got to feel good about running it back, right? Because it's it's not just that it's the same team. It's the same team, but pretty young, which is important. You don't want, yeah. you know, <laughs> we talk about avoiding uh, 2012 and 13 Phillies. You know, those guys were, were all in or approaching their mid or late 30s. Yep. And that is not the case here. That's just not the case. There's still, there's still a lot to go, a lot of baseball to be played by a lot of this team, a lot of good baseball. And yes, no, that, I, that, that blows my mind too. It, you don't think of the Phillies as a young team. You're so used to the Phillies being middle of the pack or older and a team that usually spends in free agency gets attached to the thought of, Oh, okay. Now they're going to exactly. be aging. You know, exactly. That's the thing is that this team mostly built through free agency and you know, most of these guys remain in their prime years. I yeah. think. Beautiful. All right. Well, this is the longest wind down and outro I think we've ever had, which is saying Sorry. something for us. No, it's good. <laughs> hey, wait, I want to say one more thing. Oh, there we go. Dave, Let's keep it going. Wait. All right. Dave Buchanan had a great name drop of his own today. Uh oh. Saying that before he came to Philly's camp, he he uh, he heard from or checked in with Mario Hollins, who he used oh to live with. Oh, my God. Remember Mario Hollins? Oh, I do. Wow. Yeah. And the Elvis he's in the, he's in, oh, he's in the fashion. Mario Hollins is in the fashion industry now. He was like, he was taking classes, really? I think, when he was playing. Yeah. Oh, good for you, dude. Keep at it. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. Wow. What a name. Yes. I remember Mario <laughs> Hollins. Now we can stop the podcast. Wow. Now. Yes. Now we can. 2014 Mario Hollins. Okay. Great. Hey, baseball is back and so are we. Thank you all as we embark on this third season. I, I, I can't thank everybody enough. I'm feeling very grateful every time we do one of these. So um, we'll, we'll keep it rolling. Camp has only just begun. We are obviously firing on all cylinders with the best name dropping a guy remembering we can possibly do. It's only downhill from here. Which I've always kind of wondered about that saying, does that mean if it's downhill, it's supposed to go down in quality, but it, if it's easier to go down, you know what? Speed. Yeah. You know what? Exactly. That's a paradox. All right. I hope you enjoyed these last 45 minutes. I know we did. We'll be back with you again soon. We'll check in again as things progress, as games get closer and things start taking shape, as some of these races evolve, and hopefully maybe a little more intrigue comes in. We'll we'll see how things go. Go read Matt's stuff on The Athletic. We've mentioned a number of the stories that he's published over the last week or two. They're all worth your time, as always. Lots of fun facts and figures. Good stuff on the Wheeler extension, obviously. And we'll have to keep an eye out for, we touched on this briefly uh, last check-in, but I think the last thing outstanding right now is Alec Bohm's arbitration hearing, which I think is happening this week. It is this week. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But that's basically it. 
Then everybody reports, everybody works out, and we start getting the games. Oh, I am so excited. So we'll see you all again soon. It will not be long. Format. I am Paul. And we'll talk to you then.